We're reading this morning from Colossians 1 and 2. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This This is is the gospel gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here, delightful uh, to get a chance to share with all of you today. And uh, at the end of a, a fairly busy and very festive week in our family world, uh, to say the least, uh, we've uh, gone from a high school graduation a week ago to a uh, wedding yesterday. Uh, our, our middle child, our older son, Andrew, was married here yesterday. Uh, thank you. My wife, Patty, for the beautiful banner that's behind us. It's uh, a gorgeous tribute to, uh, to the, the beauty of, of marriage. And uh, so it's, it's been a, just a fun week. Good to have family here and uh, all of those things, too. Uh, it's also my pleasure to get to come up and share a little bit this morning with you. Um, we've just finished a period of about eight months of studying through Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a a long, long, deep, multi-layered, fascinating look at how God's word is revealed to us, how 
our lives are called to live in the fullness of that revelation of his word. It's a delightful and wonderful and challenging piece of writing that uh, we've spent a lot of time looking at. For those of us who've been here through that whole eight-month process, uh, there's, there's also, I think, a real challenge. As I was looking at, at uh, talking and getting to share this week, uh, one of the th- things that God laid on, on me, on my heart, and a challenge, personal challenge is to take what we've been studying, to take this uh, letter uh, to the Romans and its incredible depth of uh, knowledge and understanding of God and his word and do something with it, not just let it sit here in my brain as lots of knowledge, lots of, under, lots of, lots of interesting facts and, uh, and challenging words that we've looked at, but actually do something with it. Take it and turn it into something that, that changes my view of life, makes me do something for God, makes me more effective, more dynamic, more powerful, more alive in the presence of Christ. And, and that is, I think, the challenge that is laid on all of us as we, as we contemplate his word. Uh, it, it should be much more than just something that... Uh, we do on a Sunday morning. Even if you're good at Bible reading, it should be something more than something you do between the hours of seven and eight each evening at home. You know, it should be something that takes your life, infuses you, fills you, turns, turns who you are today into something more tomorrow. The Word of God should become something that, that drives us to, to seek Him, to seek out a knowledge of Him, an understanding of him, a desire to become more alive in him. And, and in, this, in this, we begin to find the, the, real, the real challenges of living in the Christian world. There's a, a song that the, the recording group Casting Crowns uh, recorded on, their recent, on a recent CD that talks about the challenge of going from this place, from being here before God in a place of worship, down on your knees, if you will, before him, and the, and the way his word speaks to us, the way his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks to us and puts conviction, puts drive, puts desire into our hearts. And the challenge is that so frequently, from that moment when we're on our knees saying, yes, Lord, I'm with you, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do, and the time we walk out the door at the back, other things happen. Our fears get in the way. Life gets in the way. We, we suddenly change that drive. Suddenly that focus is gone. That desire to serve becomes something different, becomes fuzzy, becomes soft, becomes fear-filled, and we do something different. We don't walk out the door with the same drive, the same zeal for serving him that we had while we were on our knees before him in here. And that becomes the challenge. The challenge is, how do we take it? It was the challenge of that song. It's the challenge for us. It's the challenge for me. How do we take that power that the Holy Spirit fills us with when we're right here before the Lord, and how do we take it from that place outside into the world around us and do something with it? to truly become alive in the Spirit of the Lord. There's a challenge that's out there in the, in the modern church that relates to the concept of relevancy. 
Now, the same, same album is what threw this idea at me because one of their other songs, they talk in terms of the fact that the church should not sacrifice the gospel for relevance. And that's one of the great challenges is that's out there in the church today is turning soft on truth, making it more palatable to an unbelieving world, to taking the truths of the gospel and making them into something that's easier to grasp, uh, that people won't be offended by, that if you invite your, your unchurched neighbor in to sit with us, that they're not going to be all just prickly when they walk out because of what they heard. And that's one of the great challenges of the church today is to, to be relevant. And I, I'm going to contend for us today that being relevant actually means telling the truth, that relevancy in the church today means that we don't soften the gospel message. What it does mean is that we seek to be Christ-like when we deliver it. And the difference is that when we deliver that message, we seek to live in, a, in, in, the, in the abundance of Christ's love, in compassion, in understanding, in empathy, but we still tell the truth. We don't soften the message of truth in the process. This is a, a little quote out of uh, the Baptist Press. It said, I would like to suggest that the most fundamental problem in the church is not that we are not relevant enough in relation to the world, but that the church is not distinct enough from the world. Our churches must reflect the character of God. Relevance comes from reflecting the character of God, not from uh, softening the gospel message. It comes from, from saying, believing, living, and doing exactly what God called us to do in his work. It, it does not come from taking the message of his word from the thing that he has said consistently throughout all time and turning it into something else just because we think that's going to be more acceptable to the folks around us. And in Paul's letter that we're looking at today, in this little fragment of this letter to the church in Col- at, at Colossae, we, we look at several parts. The first of these is Paul's prayer as a leader for the body. I would suggest to you that the leadership here at Cole Community Church very much models after this model that we have in here. The leaders at Cole Community Church, I am fully convinced, know from experience, are men and women who seek to do the things that Paul does here. They pray for you. They pray for each and every one of us. They are concerned and committed to sharing the truth of the gospel with this body and to enabling and empowering the people of this body to do the same with those around us in our community, in our neighborhood, and in the world. That is a commitment that they make. This is the first thing that Paul gives us, though, in this is really a model of how leadership should be holding their body, how they should be praying for the kinds of things that we should be seeking in a, in a body of believers. And the first thing that comes in here is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And it and really strongly suggests that the first thing that people need is not knowledge, like we were talking about a moment ago. We don't need to sit here and read the Bible day after day, listen to being preached day after day, if it only sits in our brains. If it stays here, 
it's of no real practical value. It's nice, it's good information, there's a lot of good living rules and, and skills in there, but it doesn't really do, do us or the, the kingdom a lot of good. What he's saying is that we be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not just the knowledge of God. And that's a vital distinctive. And what he asks for then is spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would have, again, spiritual wisdom, that which is provided to us through the Holy Spirit, through that intimate, deep connection to God that comes from knowing him well, from spending time before him, from being on our knees before him, from seeking out his, his voice, from talking to him about the yearnings of our hearts and the desires that we have and the pain and the struggles that we're going through and letting him talk back to us, really listening to him. And that that is the next thing that Paul speaks of as necessary for a body to become truly alive in Christ. And that from that spiritual wisdom, we gain spiritual understanding. The two go hand in hand. And the Holy Spirit begins to bring us that understanding. And that leads us to this next piece of walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Well, what does it mean to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? You know, that's an interesting concept. It's a, it, it could be just kind of a vague, fuzzy concept out there. You go, okay, I'm going to walk in the manner that's worthy of the Lord. Great. I will do good things. I will be friendly to those around me. I won't cut anybody off uh, in line. Uh, I won't grumble too much about uh, the leaders of our country. Any of these kinds of things. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. Those are all good and worthy things. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that you, to walk in a manner that's worthy of the love, focus on what Christ is like. What is he like? What are his characteristics? Love, understanding, truth, steadfastness, consistency, all of these things. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. He's saying these are the characteristics that you need to have. These are the things that you need to model. It's not laws. It's not rules. Laws, rules, all of these things become implemented because we seek to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That's where those things come from. And that's, and that's the difference. What he's talking about here, if you, do you get this? What he's talking about is not external. It's internal. It starts from the heart out and works its way into our lives, into the way we live our lives. That's what he's talking about. Um, and because of these things, we will be fully pleasing to Christ, fully pleasing to God, that these are the things which make us so. That should be one of the yearnings of our hearts as believers, as Christians, would be that we would be fully pleasing to God. That's a high standard, right? I mean, that's a huge standard. This is, this is bigger than any of the human standards that we live with. But to be fully pleasing to God is, is, a, is something that the Holy Spirit should be putting on our hearts as wanting to do, as desire, being desirous of. And, and then the outthrust of that, now the whole thing comes around and becomes real when he talks in terms of bearing fruit. We are to, to go forth and bear fruit in our world around us. Um, it says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's a little circle that Paul has drawn for us here, saying that as we, 
as we seek to be fully pleasing to him, as we've gone through this process of being filled with the knowledge of his will, of, spiritual, of gaining spiritual wisdom and understanding, and walking, then seeking to walk in a manner worthy of him, and therefore be fully pleasing to him, we bear fruit. Bear fruit. This is when we go out and do the things that God is putting on our heart to do. This is when we, when we seek to find his way in the world around us. When we, when we do the things, when we live the life, when we manifest, live out the attitudes that are his, that are, the, that are the ones that are the attributes of God, that's when we begin to bear fruit. And when we do this, the funniest thing happens. What did we start the list with? Filled with the knowledge of his will. Now he says that we will increase in our knowledge of his will by doing these things. So what is God doing for us? He's saying, okay, if you seek my face, if you, you know, that, 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 that challenge at the beginning here, when I'm down on my knees and his voice is speaking clearly and profound me, profoundly to me, is one thing. When I leave here and go out there, what do I do with it is another thing. What he's saying to us is that as you seek his will and your knowledge of his will and, and seek to live out his will in life, funniest thing happens, he will give you more knowledge. He will let you see him more deeply. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about getting to the place where I understand God with a depth of my heart, with a depth of my being, that I will grasp him. He will grasp me. I will let him into my life because I trust him more. As we gain knowledge of him, we also gain in a trust of him to let more of myself go to him, let myself become more a part of his will. And we gain even more profoundly in our knowledge of him through the process of this. As we do this, we begin, I think we begin to see the the, the answer to the challenge. The answer to the challenge, at least for me, the answer to this challenge is, as I get off my knees before him with that, uh, that sense of drive, that sense of being implored to do something, the voice speaking loudly and the desire to serve him, the thing that gets in the way most frequently between here and there is me. Instead of focusing on the Lord as I leave this place, as I leave that place of great commitment, of great connection with him, what do I do? I stop. What, what did I do while I was there? Firstly, while I was there, I was looking at him. I was allowing him to be the sole focus of my attention, to be the sole desire of my heart, to really hear him, to tune into his voice and to speak my heart to him at the same time. What changes between that moment and the one where it actually becomes reality in the world? And generally the change is that I'm no longer looking at him. I'm no longer focused in clearly on him and listening to his voice. I start to listen to and look at my voice and my image. I start focusing in on myself and saying, ooh, yeah, you're not so good at that. That's not going to be such an easy thing to do. Wow. That conversation with that person is not going to be such a good thing to have. You know, you're not the right person. The voice, you know, you don't have the right words. You're no good at that. You're no good at sharing the gospel. Or, you know, there's so many things in your life that are, are not pretty and not, not, uh, not well resolved that how can you possibly be of any use? How can you possibly be of any service? 
and, and you know, and you're, you're not such a good-looking guy. You know, you're, nobody's going to want to talk to you. And he's, the voice. You start, you start hearing your own voice speaking. This is what happens to me. You start hearing my own voice speaking, and, and it's never telling me good things. It's never telling me to... It's never giving me that great motivational speech, that great halftime locker room speech that's going to get me out there to win the game. It's talking to me about all the reasons why I've already lost. When in reality, um, this was pointed out to me between services, that everything that we talk about in here is a, is a done deal. Everything's in the past tense. God's already done these things in our lives. We are new people. We are changed beings. We have been given the knowledge of his wisdom and, and the, the knowledge of uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual things, you know, wisdom and understanding. So it's all already ours. Let's just listen to the voice that gave them to us in the first place. Let's pay attention to him and allow him to work through us. That's the challenge here. And that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, so it, if it were easy... You know, we'd all be doing it every day, and it'd be a wonderful thing, but that's not how, it's, how, how life is. That is not how we were created. We were created to be people who seek after God. God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He desires it to be one that we want to have. He wants us to take our eyes off ourselves, off the world around us, and put them on him. He gives us the choice to do other things. He doesn't surround us with a diorama of him only. He, sur- he allows us to look at the world in full view and then choose him in the process. Because in choosing him in the process, it is a much more compelling event, much more powerfully carried out, much more significant for us. So that's what he does, does for us. Um, and then the next thing he does, though, as you choose to do these things, he strengthens us. And in verse 11, it talks about how we are strengthened in him. It, uh, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance, patience, with joy. So these are the things he gives us. Well, he gives us some real rewards. You know, we spend, you know, spend life, if you, you raise children, trained animals, done any number of things like that in life, you've, you've used these same things, rewards for, for behaviors, for performance. Well, God rewards us for our decision to seek out his face, to follow him. He rewards us mightily. He gives us the strength. Some days that's all we can pray for, is the strength simply to go out and face the day. You know what? Right here he's saying, okay, that's what you need, that's what you will get. I will strengthen you. I will give you the, that ability to go forth. And it's a strength that comes from what? All power. The creator of all things powerful in human relationship, the, the creator of all things powerful in the universe, is the one who gives us that strength. And it's given to us in the most significant measure possible, according to God's glorious might. It is in reality strength that we will get to glorify God. That is what Paul is telling to us, that the strength that God gives us in these situations in life is a strength that we will be able to take, use, not only to live our lives more successfully and fully, but live them more successfully and fully to the glory of God because the source of the strength in the first place was his own glory. It's an extraordinary gift. It's an amazing gift. 
And this is what he is giving to us. Um, and we get it for the purposes of the things we need, right? Okay, if we're, if we're, we're fearful, we're tired, we're thinking we're, we're just simply not able to handle what God wants us to do, what does he give us? He gives us the strength, which gives us endurance, which gives us patience, and which gives us joy. Think about that combination. The endurance, just to keep going. Okay, I am tired. I don't want to go do this. I don't want to go talk to my neighbor. I don't want to read the word. I don't want to share it. I don't want to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to volunteer to teach Sunday school. I don't want to whatever. Whatever it may be, he says, I will give you the strength to give you the endurance to do that thing. And not just endurance. Sometimes endurance is wonderful and we get really frail and really sort of brittle in the process. Ever notice that? How sometimes, okay, I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to go. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to keep moving forward because God told me to and he told me to give me the strength to do it. Okay, so I'm moving forward. Man, am I really tense about the process because I'm tired. I don't want to do it. It's wearisome. I don't want to deal with the people I need to talk with or deal with or lead in this ministry or whatever. He says, okay, I'll give you the strength so that you can endure. I'll give you the endurance and I'll give you the patience to to bear with it at the same time. Just look at my face. God says, look at my face. If, if you're starting to feel antagonistic toward the people that you're called to lead or the people you're called to talk to or the, or the situations, then he's saying, I think you're looking at yourself. I think you're, looking, I think you're looking in the wrong place. Look back at me because if you're not experiencing patience in the process, then something's not right because patience is an attribute of God. And, and he's saying, so that's another thing I give you here. And I'm going to give you joy in the process. If you're willing to, to, to step out, to trust me, to follow me, then I will also give you joy in the process. What a wonderful thing. It, it, but, it's, but it's a progressive thing here. He's going to say, endurance, patience to hang in there. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you joy in the process, too. It's actually going to be fun. You're going to like this. You're going to like doing this thing. It's okay. Trust me. God's saying, trust me. Trust me to stop looking at yourself. Trust me to stop looking where you're stepping and look out ahead. So I, I won't trip you. It's okay. Do it. And, and he will give us these things. And then Paul calls us to focus on something else in the process of doing these things. He calls us to thank God. And, and why does he do this? I think the reason that Paul calls us at this point in time to thank God, why he as a leader gives us thanksgiving and sets it as a model for all of us, is the fact that we're looking at like verses 12 through 14. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. And he says that we are called, when we're in the midst of seeking out God's face, to thank him for what he's doing for us, for what he gives to us. Because as we thank God for what he is doing in our life, the work that he has done in me, the work that he has done in my family, the work that he has done in my church, the work that he's doing in the world, all of these things... What are we doing when we're thanking God for, for, for who he is and what he does? We're looking at him. It's a time to reflect on who he is and what he does and how he has impacted my life. Not just the surfacey sorts of things, not just the, 
the, the covering on it all, but the real things, the real depth. What is he doing in my life that is profound and significant and meaningful for me? That's what he's calling us to look at here. You know, when Paul says to be thankful for the things that he lists here, one, he lists our inheritance. Be thankful for the fact that God, the creator of the universe, has taken us from a position where we lived in sin, in separation, in darkness, and moved us into his family, brought us into the greatest cathedral, if you will, the greatest home, the palace of God, the creator of the universe. He moved us out of the shack that we lived in, out of the, out of the, the depths of our, our, our depravity and darkness and sin, and moved us into his house. That's our inheritance. We had no right to it. We had no right to this, to this wonderful dwelling place with God, but he said, okay, believe on me, believe on Jesus, and it's all yours. Everything is yours. Now, you don't have to earn it anymore. It's yours. So he gives us this inheritance, and then in the process we just talked about, he delivers us from the darkness. That's more than just a metaphor. It's, it's a reality. How many of us have experienced dark days in our lives? dark times, dark places. They happen. They're real. There is a darkness in this world. There is a depravity afoot in this world that is powerful and palpable. You can feel it. You can touch it. It's the result of sin in this world. And and Paul's telling us here that the Lord delivers us from that darkness. He brings us to the place of light, the place where we have the ability to utilize, to function in this knowledge of his will in this spiritual strength. This is what he's talking about. We're placed in a, in a position where, although darkness still surrounds us, evil is still afoot, we will sin. We will do things which are contrary to his will. It is our nature as fallen, fallen yet redeemed beings. We will do these things. Life is bad. There is evil afoot in the world. Look at the, look at the you know, just read the headlines. Just read the news. Just listen to it for a, for a, a short amount of time. This is a fallen world. It is a, it is a corrupt world. It is a dying world. The, this is all around us. What he is saying is he will give us the ability to understand the world we live in. The darkness will not overwhelm us in Christ. We are given that understanding of, of our position in this world, our value to him in this world, and the ability to step out of the dark shadow, out of the dark shadow that's back in that corner, out here into the light and live in that manner, to become that person who radiates God's glory, does not have to live in our own strength, in our own glory, because that's a frail, frail place to be. Instead, we get to live in the glory and the radiance of God, the creator of the universe, and that way we are living in the light that God has set forth in the world. We become emissaries of that light. And that's what he's talking about here. He has transferred us from... That other place, that kingdom of oppression to sin, and moved us into the kingdom of his son, of Jesus. We are, we are literally transferred out of the, the bad place, the, the, the dead-end job, the dead-end life, and moved into one that is full of grace and glory in the presence of God. And the final thing that he's thankful for in this list is 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the fact that we are redeemed from our sins, that we are given an eternal place to live, that our souls are set free from the darkness that bound us. So he's saying, Paul's saying to us in this process, be thankful. Be thankful for these very profound and real things which make life different. These are the difference makers in life. These are the relevancy makers in life, is the facing into the reality, one, that we are redeemed beings, that we have an inheritance in God's kingdom, that we are no longer living in the dark places, that we are in fact transferred to live with, with Christ in the kingdom of God. These are the things which, which, if we start focusing on these realities and being thankful for them, then we gain a position where we can keep our eyes focused on God. We can look at him, not look at ourselves. This allows us to start taking what we have what, what the Spirit says to us, those powerful voices that speak to us, those powerful images that come to us, those, those desires of the heart, and turn them into reality, turn them into stuff that we do in the world around us. Moving along through this passage, he then gives us a, a marvelous picture of who Christ is, that he is the Christ of creation, that uh, firstly, in verse 15, that he is the image of God the Father, He is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is an icon. The the, the Greek word is icon, and it means one as if you are stamped, an an original stamping from the die, from the mold, and uh, like a coin being minted. And it's perfectly the image of the original stamp. So Jesus is a perfect image of God himself, God the Father. Uh, We use the word icon in our... uh, in our own vernacular, our own usage, as a reference to images, images that will tell us everything that's important about an organization or, a, or an entity. And Jesus is himself that perfect image. You look at Jesus, you see God. You look at all the things that were told about him in the Gospels, and you see God. You look at everything that the Word says to us about Jesus, and you see God the Father. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what uh, Paul says to us. He is the perfect image of God the Father. He's the firstborn of creation. And also, not only the firstborn, but he is the creator. That he is the cre- all was created through him and all was created for him. So everything around us, most significantly to us, us, we are God's creation. We are Jesus' creation. The world that we live in is also his. He owns it all. And he came before all, in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue that binds it together. Sin is the, sin is the, the catalyst for, for corruption and decay and collapse in our world. Jesus is the glue that holds all together. And what we are told is that if we focus on the world around us and what is happening in it versus focusing on the Creator then we're missing the point. He's saying, calling us back to focusing on the creator of it all, that Jesus created it all. He has the ability to control all, but sin is a, is a force at work. We are not to worship the creation around us. We are to worship the creator. As we focus our eyes on Jesus, as on the creator, we begin, it all begins to make more sense. We begin to see that 
This is a world that desperately needs all of us, each and every believer in this world, to speak out, to share the truth of who God is, who Christ is with this world around us. This is the thing he's imploring us to do. And we do that through many different ways. You'll be called to do it in many different ways. But he's saying to focus on him. He is the one who owns it all, who controls it all. And so that is, that is the, where our heart's desire should be. He goes on to talk to us about the fact that Christ is the Christ of redemption. In verses 19 through 23, we talk in terms of who he is. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God the Father vested everything that he is in Jesus with absolute pleasure. It is the pleasure of God that it all is there. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Peace. Is that not one of the things that we all desire and seek most in this world? We desire peace in our with our, with our families, we desire peace with our neighbors, we desire peace with the world around us. It's one of the things that is most challenging in this world that we live in today is the fact that there is so much unrest, unpeace in this world. It's one of the great challenges of life. So why not focus on the one who created the very concept that is peace? This is God the Father through Jesus. This is where peace comes from. Peace in the spirit in the soul is the starting place for peace in life. He's calling us to focus in on that peace and seek it with all of our hearts. And we will, we will begin to understand him more fully as we begin to understand that peace that is in him. And so he, he calls us to this. Uh, we are, he reconciles all things. goes on to talk about the fact that, the, that if you want to understand reconciliation, if you want to understand coming together, if you want to understand other people, if you want to begin to love more fully, then you need to be focused on the one who is the author of that reconciliation. All of creation is reconciled, is pulled together. This presupposes that it is fractured or broken apart, which, we, which I would certainly accept is true, that when sin entered the world, everything broke apart. Everything that was the natural created order of God was severed and, and shattered. And in, in Christ, we have the one who brings it back together. He brings it back together through people, through us, through our hearts. He is the one who, who calls us back to a, a loving, caring relationship with each other and with the world around us. And so that, through that process, through the blood of the cross, we are, peace is made, redemption is proclaimed in all of creation. We studied that profoundly in Romans. Uh, and the final passage, part of this passage, in, down in chapter 2, we are called to some things within the body. The body is called together to do certain things. Firstly, to be encouragers. Uh, he says that he wants, us to encur- you know, he wants to encourage the hearts. I would say that what Paul is saying to us here is that he wants us to be encouragers of each other. Uh, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to teach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He wants our hearts to be encouraged. He wants us to direct each other to these truths. He wants you to look at Jesus fully in the face and, spend, and, and make that the focus of your life. 
He wants you to encourage the person sitting next to you to do the same thing. He wants, wants you to become someone who points to these realities to the peop- with the people around you and that you call them to, to, to live in the same truth, that peace comes from a relationship with Jesus, that peace comes through a focused relationship with Jesus, that power and might in living your life in Christ comes from that same point of view, staying focused on him, <clears throat> living out your life fully in him. That's where it comes from. So Paul's calling us to these things. Uh, he's calling us to be relevant in our world, to be ones who are truly invested in the lives of those around us. Simple reality is, if you're not telling the truth in, in, in the body here, then you're not living in a manner that is focused on Jesus. If you're fearful of talking to, the neighbor, to your neighbor about Christ, then you're not living in the reality of Jesus. Truth is that even in a body like this, there will be a number of people, people, even people who've been here for years and years and years, decades even, who actually don't know Jesus, who do not know him as a personal Lord and Savior. If you think that's true of somebody who you've met because of the things they say or the way they talk, why haven't you said something to them? Why haven't I said something to them? Why haven't you asked, what is your relationship with Christ? This is what he's calling us to do. Not to be fearful of engaging truth, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be caring. And being loving, compassionate, and caring also means talking truth. And that's what he's calling us to be, is honest, truthful, focused on him, allowing him to be the one who speaks through us, for us, gives us the strength, gives us the power. Uh, Out of that same article, it says, in the Bible, the people never create God's word. God's word always creates the people. That is how God has always worked. That is how we should preach. That is how people are saved and how people are sanctified. God's spirit works in his word. That's what he's calling us to do, is to live out his word, to be empowered through his word. Um, In this little devotional book, Max Licato talks about it this way. Jesus said, come follow me. God is an inviting God. He invited Mary to birth his son the disciples to fish for men, the adulterous woman to start over, and Thomas to touch his wounds. God is the king who prepares the palace, sets the table, and invites his subjects to come in. In fact, it seems his favorite word is come. Come, let us talk about these things. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. All you who are thirsty, come and drink. Come to me, all you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. God is a God who invites. God is a God who calls. I'm suggesting that the challenge out of our study of Romans becomes allowing God to call us, staying focused on his face, staying before him in a manner that that says, I can go from from the, the truth that I have heard, the truth that I have read, that that truth can empower my heart. I can allow God through the Holy Spirit, to drive me forward, to give me the strength, to give me the, the patience, to give me the courage to go forth. That's the challenge for us as we, as we move out on through that, through that study is to take it and use it, to make it alive in our body, to, make it, make our, to allow ourselves to be alive in Christ. So let's, let's pray in this passage.
Jesus, we just thank you for uh, your, your word, for your time with us, for the power of it all, for the might of your spirit. We thank you for your love that allows that you don't send us out without uh, the, the ability to be successful in what you send us to do. So, Lord, we just want to ask you to give each of us the, the courage and the wisdom to face you, to look at you, to seek your face, and to do what you call us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.